Isaiah chapter 5, um, it's on page 487. <clears throat> if you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you. Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 18 through 23. Isaiah says, Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so we may see it. Let it approach, let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I, I recently, um, recently turned 45. And it seems, and I'm learning this more and more, that, that as you get older, um, all kind of crazy things start happening with your body as you get older. I've heard somebody say that, that getting old is not for sissies, and I think that's 100% accurate. And uh, there's a website that I like to follow. It's called Mockingbird. It's, uh, it's a website that, that kind of intersects things of faith and art and culture and life. And there's a, a, a weekend, every Friday, they kind of wrap up stories from the week. And one of the things that the author mentioned this past week was uh, an article in the satirical magazine, The Onion, um, man finds out good news when he goes to the doctor that his body is decaying at exactly the right pace. <laughs> I read that and I was like, that's, that's kind of humorous. Yes, we, we all know that it is. And um, the best we can hope for is exactly the right pace. But I've had a couple of experiences recently, like nothing, nothing crazy. You know, I just saw like this spot on my back, and I was like, that looks kind of weird, is that right? And, and I'm a hypochondriac, I'll just let you into my world. Uh, I assume that everything's probably the worst thing that it could be. I, I have learned to not Google things. I don't Google things anymore. But I went to the dermatologist, you know, checked it out. They, he's like, well, let's just send it, you know, just take a little, little piece of your back off and send it off and see what happens. Um, at 45, certain routine tests start kicking in. I will not go into details, but I had a certain routine test even this past week. And you sit there and you're waiting on the results or you go to sleep and you wake up and you're like, wonder what they're going to say. Wonder what they're going to find in the places that they went looking. And there are those, <laughs> I have not told you what kind of test I had. I'll just say, you're waking up and everybody wants to be affirmed their beliefs that it was okay, correct? You just want to hear good news. You just want to hear what you want to hear. And, and fortunately, I did. And, but the thing is that whatever the pathologist found, whatever it was that they discovered in their pursuit, what I need to know more than just the news that I would like to hear is I need to know the real truth of the matter, correct? I don't need to just hear the, the news that I want to hear. I need to hear the truth of the matter, and the truth that they bring back to me will, will set me on a course where I can then seek 
perhaps medical treatment if that is appropriate, or to know that things are indeed okay, but, but in that moment, I need to hear the truth. And it's the case that all of us, as people who are fallen, people who are sinful, those of us who've been redeemed of the Lord through faith in Christ, it's not as if in that moment of salvation we are um, sanctified in a moment. That in that moment you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit and we're conformed to the image of Jesus so that we continue to make our way through life, always choosing the good and always rejecting the bad. Choir did a beautiful job of reminding us of that truth through their song this morning. And if you were like me, you were listening to that message, and you're thinking about Paul's words in Romans 7, and you're like, that's me. But there is this fight within me that I, I want to do the right, I want to choose the good. I want to be in the path of obedience and faithfulness, trusting that God's leading me in those paths, even telling me things I don't want to hear. But the harsh reality is that, that I come with my own preconceived set of ideas and notions of what's going to make me happy and what's going to fulfill me. And sometimes, sometimes I want to hear the word that I want to hear. Sometimes I want someone to just tell me that word that, that aligns with my already preconceived set of notions and ideals, my own um, desires to pursue through life, and I want someone to just affirm me in that. Can you, can you relate to that ever in your life? Are there even people that you avoid in those seasons because you know they're going to tell you the truth and you'd rather not hear it? Yeah. Well, the people of God have always struggled with this tendency. We've always struggled with this tendency to, in our minds at least, tip our hat to the idea that we want God to tell us the truth, that we want God to lead us in paths of righteousness. But there's also a part of us that would say, uh, I really like hanging on to this thing, or I really like pursuing life with this set of truths in my mind. I'm not sure that I'm ready yet to yield. And so you and I, if we're not careful, we, we surround ourselves with voices that will tell us what we want to hear. And Isaiah, in his day, he had the challenge of carrying out his prophetic ministry in a climate where there were plenty of other prophets who were giving messages to the people that would make them comfortable in their own sin, that would make them feel good about continuing to pursue the lives they were living. And you might remember earlier in the book of Isaiah, we talked about how one of the things that they would say is that, hey, as long as you go to church, as long as you offer the sacrifices, church in their day, offer the sacrifices, sing the songs, do the things, God isn't as concerned with how you go out and live your life. And that was a message that was appealing and attractive to some of the people in Isaiah's day. And Isaiah was given this unenviable task of coming in and saying, wait a minute. The messages that you've been hearing, they are not accurate. They are not from God. The messages that you're hearing are giving you what your itching ears want to hear and trying to kind of affirm you in the path that you're going. And here is the reality of who God calls us to be. And I can relate to the challenge. I would rather be the bearer of good news. 
I would rather be the person who comes and says, you're doing wonderful. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep down that path. And I'm not always quick to the task to be the person who says, all right, I'm going to show up and I'm going to call it like it is. You need to know this. You need to see this. You need to hear this. But my struggle with that from time to time reveals more of an insecurity of how people think about me than it does my faithfulness to God's calling in my life. That ultimately the most loving thing that you and I can do for each other, the most loving thing that God can do for us as his people is to tell us the truth. And the most dangerous thing that you and I can do, or one of the most dangerous things we can do in our spiritual lives, is just always only surround ourselves with voices that affirm us and encourage us and move us down the path that we're already going on. We need truth even the truth that might be hard at times. Now, Isaiah chapter 5, we're only focusing on verses 18 through 23, but it's really helpful to think about how the whole chapter flows. And I was reminded this week as I was studying this passage that, that God doesn't give us truths, just kind of propositional truths, but he gives us stories and he gives us images and he gives us pictures to help those truths get past just our minds and seep down into our heart. That we're not just primarily rational beings, that if we could just kind of get this truth deep enough into our brains, we'll act the right way. But, but in reality, you and I are people who are captivated by stories and emotions and visions and pictures of what the good life looks like. And so Isaiah comes and he starts with this picture. In verse 1 he says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines, and he built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a, a vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. I've admitted to you in past sermons, I am, I'm not good at agriculture or farming. Um, I'm glad that Publix is located very close to my house. Um, I'm the person, if it gets real bad one day, like I'm, I'm coming finding other people who grow stuff. But the image here is, is the image of someone who planted a vineyard and he did everything necessary for the vineyard to produce grapes. Everything was ideal. All the, the situation, all the characteristics were there for this vine to yield grapes. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? The person who planted the vineyard, he goes back, and rather than it producing a fruit in keeping with all the care and effort that had been put into it, it produced wild grapes. And there's this word of judgment that's coming, that all the things that this person who had planted the vineyard had prepared and done were going to be removed, and trampling is going to come in. And here's, here's the picture of the bad fruit that came up as opposed, in contrast, to the good fruit. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. 
the fruit that God had in mind for his people was that they would respond to his word in obedience and trust, and they would go out into the world and they would seek to live faithful lives of obedience that would show forth in righteous living. And part of that righteous living would be that they would have a care and concern for those who were poor and oppressed, those who were on the margins of society, that they would live in holiness and righteousness. And the Lord went out and he looked, and those things were not present. Instead, there was injustice, there was bloodshed, there was unrighteousness. And when you think about it, living the life of faith and living the path of obedience does require us to embrace concepts and truth that that don't come naturally to us. And so we see some of the characteristics of injustice beginning in verse 8. It says, Woe to those who join house to house and field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell in the midst of the land. They had this idea that if we just have more, we will be secure. And so rather than allow there to be um, opportunities for people with less means and less wealth to eke out a living in the land, they just bought it all up and built houses next to houses next to houses and kind of pushed out the poor in the land. They were also consumed with um, drinking. (laughs) They were consumed with all the things that they thought would satisfy their hearts. And ultimately, Isaiah says that all of that stuff will ultimately lead to their downfall and their ruin as opposed to the comfort and security and joy that they thought that they would bring. Verse 13, therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry and their multitude is parched with thirst. Isaiah is painting this picture in Isaiah chapter 5. Of, of a group of people who, rather than living in obedience, seeking to live faithful lives, representing the holy God of Israel in the world by how they lived in relationship with each other, instead of doing that and trusting that God's ways and God's will would ultimately satisfy their hearts and also bring flourishing in the world, instead of doing that, they lived according to their own wisdom, they lived according to their own understandings of what would satisfy them, And it resulted in a world marked with evil and a world marked with injustice. Where they were not at peace with God and they were not at peace with each other. And then in verse 15, you're going to hopefully remember this verse from a previous sermon. Man is humbled and each one is brought low. And the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. And then in verses 18 through 23, there's more succession of these verses of woe, 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 woe. And really, the focus here on this section of these woes is that that they were listening to people who were calling evil good, and good evil, listening to people who were putting darkness for light and light for darkness, who were calling bitter things sweet and sweet things bitter. And it kind of culminates in this idea that they were those who were wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. 
Now, here's the thing. There's a temptation that I think we have to avoid in a passage like Isaiah chapter 5. And one of the temptations that I think we have to avoid in a passage like Isaiah chapter 5 and this idea of calling dark things light and light things dark and bittersweet and sweet bitter, calling good evil and evil good, is that there is a temptation in us that, that you and I will not ultimately see this in ourselves, will we? Like, as I read those verses, if you're like me, the temptation is I start to see, and I can name all the different people who are doing this in the world. Can you? I mean, I bet if I gave you a sheet of paper right now, you could just make a list of all the people who are calling things, and they're not calling them like they are. And as I do that, do you know how I feel about myself? Like, so much better. Even the idea of like, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those people who do that. And the idea of looking out and seeing it in other people has this effect of filling me with pride and arrogance, which seems to be the very thing that Isaiah is warning against, is he not? And the thing that, that I need is for God to come and speak into my heart in my life, in the places where I need to hear a true and more faithful word. The places where I, in my own heart, don't believe that God's path of obedience and righteousness are ultimately the things that are going to make me flourish and fulfill his purpose in my life. That, that ultimately, I need God's word to come to me not just to help me be filled with righteous indignation at other people out there. But I need God's word to come with me, to me in truth, by the power of his spirit, to open my eyes to the ways that I need to change. To the ways that God's opening up me to say, Wayne, in these parts of your life and in these parts of your heart, you are not living as if you believe my word to be true. Here's how life actually works. Here's how you need to see things as they really are. And it might be in whether or not I believe that, that as I steward my finances in a faithful way, that God's going to provide for me and that everything that I need will be there. That, that step of obedience, that as I live more obediently in that part of my life, that God is going to be faithful to provide and that I'm going to experience more joy and fulfillment as I live into obedience. Or, or it might be in our marriages. One of the things I get to do that, that I just love is I get to do premarital counseling all the time. Which, if, if the Lord would give you opportunity to, be, to do premarital counseling, here's one of the great things. It's like, it's like I go to marriage counseling several times a year. Which is great. Because otherwise I may not choose to do it. But I just get kind of like free marriage counseling through this book every, every so often. And in those moments, as I'm sitting there with those increasingly young couples, just look like babies more and more every year. I'm reminding them that they're going to stand before God and everybody. And they're going to say one of the most ridiculous things in their lives. They're going to say, I'm going to stay with you 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. Until we die. I want to be there with you until we die. I don't care what happens. And, and, they, and they do that, I remind them, because they're going to go out there into the world and they're going to live life, and I have no idea what they're going to encounter. I, I have no idea. But the only thing that I can tell them is that the path of obedience and faithfulness to these covenants, commands that they're making, that ultimately that's what God's designed them for, to live in obedience and faithfulness to that, trusting that God will provide every step of the way, and that there will be moments where they might feel pulled apart or away or in different directions. And, and obedience is living into that covenant commitment that they made however many years prior. That that's the truth that God comes to us in his word. And so, so I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what the lies are that you believe, or I don't know what the things are that you say, you know, I, I, I know God says this, but I, I think this is probably more true, or this is what I desire. It could be the idea of getting up on a Sunday morning and coming and teaching Sunday school to a bunch of kids. You're like, I don't know, that seems like a lot. I don't know that there's life in that. But wherever it is that I'm prone to disobedience as opposed to obedience and to God's word and his will in my life, those are the places where I need God to speak truth into my heart. And I need to be so convinced because of all that he's done for me in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that he loves me and that he is for me and that every path I take in obedience and faithfulness to his word will ultimately satisfy the desires of my heart like no, nothing else. I hope every now and then you come to church and you feel convicted about something. If you only ever come to church and you say, man, that was a good word today. That's exactly what I think. Then maybe I'm not doing it right. But as God, by the power of his spirit, comes to us, there ought to always be, at points along the way, ways God's convicting us of our sin and turning us to Jesus and calling 